Hello and welcome back to Game of Moans. Uh, it is season two, finally. Uh, I am Chris Bolton. With me, as always, the mountain, Mr. Mark Williams. Hello. Uh, yeah, and for those of you who are new here, and God knows why you'd be new here, go back and listen to season one. Um, we, we are pulling apart Game of Thrones an episode at a time and playing it like a Bolton, uh, which I am wont to do, obviously. Um, so, yeah, look, we've been away for a while. Um, we're a little late starting back as well. Sorry about that. We had some... Uh, issues technical yeah, difficulties technical di- uh, by that we mean we've actually recorded this episode once already uh, and then realized we lost it because we're fucking morons uh, yeah well to be fair it was uh, it was a it was was a technical issue. My computer wouldn't save it for some reason. It lost the um, it lost the file path. It lost the temporary file. So I had nothing to save, which was really fucking annoying. Yeah. But so anyway, yeah, all of that is a roundabout way of saying sorry we weren't with you last week, guys. Uh, I yeah. know you're all waiting with bated breath to hear our thoughts Absolutely. on life, Game of Thrones, and yeah, other shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know no one's waiting for our take on anything. But anyway, I feel that's polite. not true. I know there is at least one person. Hello to you. Hello. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, here we go then. Season two, episode one, the North remembers. Um, first and foremost, it's been, ooh, I guess for us, ten weeks, maybe eight, ten weeks since we finished. Yeah, season. maybe. No, not, probably yeah. not that long, even. Maybe more. Like, I think it's end of August from that. Yeah. So. so six, six to eight weeks. Um, but potentially, you've been waiting a year this episode if you're watching this as it aired um, and yeah. we left the last episode with baby fucking dragons and Jon Snow going out into the wild um, we yeah. left on quite a high um, and so of course we start this with a comedy scene with Joffrey yeah now I, I've this. I, I when I rewatched this I quite like this scene and it, it's an interesting scene it's a funny scene it just doesn't belong as the opener of your season no it's a great scene it, it is a great scene it's, it's very funny it puts Joffrey over straight away as a complete and utter should we, should we go for it early yeah why not puts Joffrey over straight away as a complete and utter cunt um, wow that is way earlier than we did it when we last recorded this episode go me um, to be f- we were fairly limited when we did it on the last one so we'll have to re- uh, rectify that this week to be fair in my notes I've actually made notes this week um, I've actually written the word cunt in it so I was going to use it at some point wow, anyway I don't think I've ever written oh yeah I may have I may have um, but yeah but I mean, anyway. look, this, this is the plus side listeners you've had to wait a week but we're back on form <laughs> we didn't even swear <laughs> last time we show. did this like it felt weird um so yeah, I, I mean, it puts Joffrey over. Um, it, it's it's it does everything it needs to do. It just, it's just I, right I, the wrong I don't place, need really. it I mean, here. Yeah, I mean, I like I like the scene. I mean, it's 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 interesting as well because obviously the first thing you see is um, there's a battle scene going on with the Hound and some random bloke, um, and it turns out it's all part of Joffrey's name day celebration thing so it's not a real fight it's like the jousting you had which um, in in the last season where somebody very posh got their throat uh, stoved in I can't remember who it was Um, so it's it's all part of that sort of tradition that's that sort of bollocks Um, so it's not serious straight away it diminishes what you think is going to be having left off with the the, um, the Starks marching south and there's going to be a battle your introduction is going to be oh fuck there's a fight so we're coming into it and they're already fighting and it actually turns out no they're not and interestingly the hound doesn't get the kill the actual killer blow he knocks him off a ledge and he dies from falling off a fucking ledge yeah 
um, which is a bit lame. But anyway, so straight away you have that, and then Joffrey goes straight into dick mode, where he's um, yes, well struck. Don't you think that was well struck? Oh, did you like that to Sansa? And she just doesn't know how to respond, and he immediately calls her on it, saying, "Yes, I just said that. I wanted your opinion," and immediately set up in this of this very bullying role which he's going to take forward and I mean we talked in the last season about how his transformation came pretty much out of nothing there was no basis for it other than the fact he was an emo little bitch and irrespective of that they've sort of they've run with it and I think this is a very they're really starting to really play up to that now whereby instead of him just being a whiny little mama's boy who has a bit of a mean streak now he's just being a complete dickhead yeah and he's great at it I yes absolutely I love him I think Joffrey is one of the best villains we've ever had on TV and I, I'm not throwing that praise around lightly I think he's fantastic because he's such an utter little snivelling cockwomble yeah. um, and yeah credit where it's due you know he is he is a fantastic villain but I don't feel that there is sufficient threat established here that we should start the, the season with him. It's not like this is no. setting up some grand... If he was a rating, some grand master plan, then, yeah, maybe we'd be straight in at crisis point. But, yeah, this this just does nothing. But, I mean, the scene is good. You know, as you say, it puts Joffrey over and we get Tyrion returning early on uh, to just well, yeah. run away with the scene as he always does. Um, That's it. I mean, to be fair, I mean, let's say he, he absolutely steals the scene. And he, I think he needed to because it was, it was going nowhere. Um, it was entirely pointless scene until that point. Um, other than the fact that you, you set up Joffrey as being this you know, sort of slightly maniacal, despotic leader, uh, which he's going to be. And you get to see Sansa playing a little bit of politics, which you've, again, there was an allusion to last season, but there wasn't much of it. And as we go through the show, that'll become far more prevalent. But again, she tells him what he, what he wants to hear, but he also, she also guides, she, she also presents as that she's giving a little bit of counsel when actually she's just like, you're not going to do that, you dickhead. I'm going to stop you doing that because that's a dick move. So why don't you do this instead? Because you're so brilliant. It would be really good. It would show you in a really good light if you did this instead of just killing him. Yeah. Um, and I think it was um, it was with the with the um, the knight who turned up drunk, and so he was going to have him executed. And again, it just shows her being a bit more astute than anybody's given her credit for. And even later on in this episode, um, I think Cat refers to Sansa as being in the in the hands of the queen. And we're already seeing that Sansa actually has a mind of her own. She's just not really had a chance to show it yet. And I think that's going to come more to the fore in this season. And then as we go through, it'll become more and more a problem. Yeah, I, I remember this as being the season, as, as we talked about last season with Sansa, she did very little and was a little bit of a damp squib. But I, I remember sitting up and taking notice of her in seasons two and three. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah, there's a lot of politics going to come into her storylines. And yeah, that is that is definitely a character arc and a storyline that that i came to love and enjoy so i'm looking forward to seeing more of that as the season goes on um but yeah we we get Tyrion coming in and instantly chopping joffrey down to size as well um yeah and i think that the fact that he comes in and he makes a fuss of the other kids first yeah that is excellent like he, he comes in and makes a point of making a fuss of those kids and oh i'm their favorite and things like that um yeah like he, he addresses joffrey first because he has to because he's king but he, he makes a fuss of uh, marcella and tom and um then he you know then he he goes to to sounds i'm sorry for your loss and immediately joffrey's on the back foot because he's not kissing his ass yes and and just the the very act of of offering sansa his condolences 
um, just yeah. speaks volumes again of Tyrion's character. Like he is the only one doing the decent thing here. And yes, it's yeah. hollow. You know, yes, there's. I mean, Tyrion means it. You can you can see that he means it, but it's not going to bring Ned back. But still, it is the right thing to do to offer his condolences, and he means it. Yeah, that's right. And it harks back to I think it was episode either episode two or episode three of the last season, of the first season, um, whereby um, they're at Winterfell and he. Uh, Joffrey makes a snide comment about him waking up in a dog pen um, uh, waking up hungover and Tyrion smacks the fuck out of him twice yeah. and again it's it's, that's a, it's teaching him how to behave how to speak how to deal with people how to show respect how to be a man actually more than that no, how to be a king how to be a man and how to be a fucking human being yes. uh, none of which he seems capable of and that's exactly why Tyrion is there and that was that was given to us at the end of the last season from, from Tywin that no, my my uh, the, the king and his mother will fuck things up effectively so go and sort them out and that's exactly what he's doing because I think even Tywin realises as much as he doesn't have a lot of time for Tyrion he knows he won't put up with the shit that other people would yeah and there'll be a, a wonderful moment with that later on as well but we, we kind of get an inkling of it here where as yeah. I say he makes a big show of, of favouring the other children and he pays his respects to Sansa but it's it's the cutting line to, to Joffrey as well when, when Joffrey tries to make a fool out of him and, and bring him down Tyrion's response straight away is we looked for you on the battlefield you were nowhere yes. to be found um, very much you know putting him in everyone's eyes as a weak king immediately like he was yeah. not on the front lines you know well that's right and I think even like Dan Joffrey's response is I, I, I was here I was here ruling the king, ruling the kingdoms and he said oh, and a fine job you do yeah and it's supposed to say yeah are you what no what what are you actually doing we're no there, there's war going on you're doing nothing for your kingdom apart from showing off yeah yeah so so yeah I mean, yeah that, I mean, it's, it, was, it was a good scene. I liked it. It just it's felt just, like it should have come about half an hour later. Yeah, it's a very slow start to the season when I feel like we should be straight back in with, with John, if I'm honest, more than anybody. What's going on north of the wall? What's Where are the White Walkers? You know, all, all of this, which, you know, they don't even get mentioned in this episode. They they don't, but there is there is mention of so they the, the in the next scene actually. So I mean, we can jump forward to it if you like. But in the, the small council meeting, um, they mentioned the fact that you no know, the the long summer yeah, has ended is and coming. the summer, winter must yeah. be coming. You know, and it's the longest summer in living memory. Um, to which you no know, points out that you no know, that generally means that the winter will be even longer. And then they start talking about you know, peasants and refugees and things like that. So then they, again, they get into the politics, which gets a bit boring. Um, but again, this, it, it suggests there might be a bit more. White Walker action coming up because winter is coming. They didn't say the words, but they've alluded to the fact that actually the summer has ended and now shit's going to yeah, go down. But we get we get nothing. Um, we we just instead get this yeah this weird slow start. And like, look, first episodes of a season are always a bit slow uh, because you need to set your yeah. arc up you know and unless you've ended on a cliffhanger uh, which we didn't really uh, no. unless you've ended on a cliffhanger and you pick straight back up then you know a season opener no matter what show you are a season opener is always going to be slow and is generally one of the worst episodes of a season um, yeah because you've got so much so much groundwork to exactly um, but yeah even so this is so very very Slow and and just weirdly paced. It kind of throws us straight into it to a fight, but it throws us in then with a with a minor character. Joffrey is still at this point a minor character. I know he'll grow to become the main villain over this season, but 
do we really care about yeah. him at this point? I mean, it, it would have even have made more sense if it was Cersei rather than Joffrey. Um, yeah. So, yeah, very um, strange. Yeah, it is a strange one. But, I mean, it does go back as well to what we talked about at the end of the last season, um, whereby that last episode, that episode 10 of the first season, felt like a season opener. Yes, yeah, very much so. It felt that like they'd done all their work, they tied up their, um, their story arcs at the end of episode 9, and then season 10 was kind of like, no, this is how we're dealing with that going forward, but that should have been how we go forward this season, not how we go forward and then have a year break, and then we'll come back to it in some shape or form, which we don't really do. Um, so yeah, it just it feels a bit. This feels, I said, this feels like a second episode. So much like that one felt like a first episode. This one does feel like a second episode, and it feels like it should have, it should be carrying on from there, but it doesn't. It feels like there's too there's too much time between the two of them in in the story as well as uh, as, as on screen, um, but not enough distance. It's almost like Benioff and Weiss don't understand pacing. No, it can't be that. Or plot. Can't be that. Mm. Odd. Um, yeah, we'll yeah, we'll anyway. see plenty more of that, I'm sure. Um, so, yeah, yeah okay, uh, moving on yeah. from this, quite frankly, pointless but enjoyable scene. Um, we get to the small council meeting, which even if we'd have opened with this, it would have made sense. Um, it would have been a bit more yeah. interesting as well. Of course, like, Visually, it's, it's less interesting. Like, we don't have the fight and stuff like that, but at least the performances are better. Like You, you, you know that when you've got Peter Dinklage and Lynn Hedy, um, on screen it's going to be a very good and they scene. are fantastic they in this go, scene. the sparring between are, them in this scene is absolutely it's absolutely oh, it's brilliant just... and I think you, you even get some decent um, uh, some decent responding from um, Varys and uh, Littlefinger whereby they don't they say practically fuck all for the entire scene but when when the two, when um, Cersei and uh, Tyrion are sparring before she kicks them all out there's just the odd no, the odd looks between the two of them yeah and from them to Cersei and Tyrion, where you think, oh fucking hell, yeah, okay, that, no, that's really nicely done. It's really deft. It's really, it's really light. If you blink, you'll miss it, and you'd never even know you missed it because it's so innocuous. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't do anything. But again, it just gives you that sense of, oh fucking hell, everybody, everybody's bringing something to the scene apart from um, the dodgy old fucker who's not, whose name I can't remember. Is it yeah. Lysel? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So apart from him, who just doesn't really add anything once Tyrion comes in, um, or before for that matter. But that's by the by. Um, yeah, there's some really there's some really nice work goes on, and then she kicks them. No, she kicks everybody out so as soon as Tyrion says, "Well, actually, you know, father made me hand in his stead, so no, fuck you." Um, she kicks him out, and then again, this uh, between the two of them, this back and forth is great. And this, this, he wears pretty much constantly wears this shit yeah, it's wonderful he knows he's it's twisting the absolute, knife with every word yeah. and his delivery is perfect his expressions in this yeah. scene are just wonderful yeah he's got this delicious shit eating grin on his face the whole time yeah and, and normally with Cersei you very rarely see with Cersei because she's normally so in control and she's so polished and she knows everything's going on around her when she has to admit to her disappointment of a little brother that actually they don't have three star or they don't have two star children anymore and they don't have Ned because they killed him um they've only got the one because they lost Arya again she's like a she's like a naughty schoolgirl. she's like a scolded child who has to admit what she's yes, done wrong and all of a sudden of all the people she has to do it to she has to admit it and it's answer Tyrion. to Tyrion yeah and it's yeah it's, it's it's like it's the biggest shame she can think of is that she's being judged yeah 
by him of all people. Yeah, the biggest shame she can think of thus far. <laughs> yeah. Thus far, yeah. Thus far. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, so yeah, wonderful scene. Um, and, and then I feel like we're kind of, we're on this kind of whistle-stop tour, just as we were at the end of the last season. Where here's yeah. a bit of this character, here's a bit of this character. We're now kind of doing that. We're whizzing around every character. Yeah. And again, this show just becomes this kind of ADD nightmare where they they don't have the confidence to just say actually you know what let's see this week let's just stick with john and danny and see where they are because they're our leads Um, we don't do that we jump around all over the fucking map well i think the biggest problem with that at the moment is that they don't actually know who the lead is because they fucking killed it yeah true now that's a very big problem yeah in this because i mean the last episode of the last season as well they felt like there was this I don't want to say avoid because that's unfair, but there's a bit of a vacuum where all the time that Sean Bean and uh, the sort of the Ned Stark character and the, the work that was going on with that, all the time that occupied, all of a sudden, it's not there, and it's like the, that storyline has kind of disappeared yeah, but as well. I think- I think and I, I'm sure I mentioned this at some point in season one as well but I can't remember which episode it's in there is an odd a kind of odd dynamic there though, which I, I'm not sure that the showrunners ever really fully understood in that whilst Sean Bean is, is our lead for season one he's the marquee name and he's he's the lead role he is not the hero <clears throat> and never was Jon Snow no, is the right. hero of this story um, and it's John that we should be with now. We should be seeing what John is doing and where he's going. Yeah, and, and that was my big problem with this episode. Is as you said, there's this sort of um, slightly chaotic, frenetic jumping around, and you get you start at King's Landing, then you go to Winterfell, then you go to um, Danny out in the desert, then you go somewhere else, then you go somewhere else, and it's like you, you're only ever having one one section with each with each storyline. Yeah. And it's only the last of ten minutes. You come back to, to King's Landing, and you get anything other than no, than just no. Well, this is what happened yeah. in this story. This is what happened in this story. This is what happened in this story. And it's you don't really get a chance to care about any of it because it's literally in one and done, in one and done, in and, and you're off. Yes, and this show is very guilty of that throughout its entire run. And I know I've already talked about that as well, uh, and will continue to every time it comes up. But yeah. I mean, we'll we'll get onto this stuff as the episode progresses. But I think, but the back half of this episode is much better than the front half and the last. 15, yes, 20 minutes are, are very, very good. But, you know, the conversation that we've just had about heroes um, in particular, there is, again, some kind of tonally and narratively weird stuff happening towards the back of this episode where it just kind of shows that, that these guys don't actually know what story they're trying to tell themselves yet at this no, point. That's right. And whether that's the source material to blame or whether it's their interpretation of the source material, I don't know because I haven't read the book. But yeah, we'll we'll come on to it when yeah. when we hit it later on. But um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think to be fair, that's always going to be difficult because the source material wasn't finished. Yes, true. And they, I mean, by the time they take over, I think it's season six where they take over mm-hmm. the writing. So they have they they'll have three seasons to to put their own stamp on it. Whereas the first five, they'll try and put. I know they'll try and make it as faithful to the book as they can, which they do ad nauseum, and we'll come on to that. We've mentioned that many times already, and we'll keep on mentioning that. But I think the problem is because, like, even though George R. R. Martin was involved, I think he was an executive producer, um, he was involved with the development. I'm not entirely convinced he knows where every fucking strand is going. Uh, no. 
because there's so many of them to pull at and I think that's part of the problem is that they don't really, they don't really know where to focus and that's why this episode is so disjointed and very little flows it's just uh, it seems like a, a an episode full of snippets and scenes rather than a coherent episode I think, I think George R. R. Martin probably knows where his story needs to end up I yeah. think he is guilty of being a fantasy writer and I look I've I've vocalized my thoughts on on high fantasy plenty of times on this podcast already and I yeah. think rather than work out how he's getting to his story and telling it he is guilty of meandering all over the fucking place and when he finds an interesting avenue yeah. to go down he'll take a little wander down it I don't know I haven't read the books but yeah. that's certainly what if this show really is that close to the books and the source material is to blame, then I yeah. definitely think that is what's happening. Now, when we get the final books, it's quite possible that a lot of the issues I have with this show would be resolved. Um, I'll never know yeah. because I'm not reading all of those books to catch up because, Jesus, that's a big time investment. So, Well, Christ, yeah. I mean, you're probably talking... In near enough a million words if you were to read uh, if you were to read every book Jesus so that's like a million words that's like fucking hell that's a couple of hours worth of talking for me I'm not <laughs> fuck that <laughs> <laughs> that's like the entire yeah. first season of this um, show um, but yeah so I mean it's it, it is difficult I, th- I think that's part of the problem I think as I say he, it, there's a lot of meandering there's a lot of that, that, and we've talked about sort of how you deal with characters as well and sort of characters who have a very fleeting role in this sort of stuff you don't necessarily need to bring them in like for example, I mean, we don't see him in this episode. He's, he appears in this episode, but he doesn't speak. Hot Pie is a prime yeah. example. Hot Pie gets the entire fucking character arc. Yeah, we don't need it. Uh, you you adapt. Just what the ditch fuck him. for? Like, yeah, it's not. Apart from the, no, the uh, the worst, probably the worst line in fucking recorded history. I kicked him in the balls. Oh, until no, he was come dead. on, that's amazing. Hot pie. <laughs> that, that's, that was, well, yeah, it, it, it's it's one of those so bad. It's good. The season for um, me that, but I mean. But that character has absolutely feck all. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Um, but again, you know, we, we've mentioned this before as well. When you're adapting, you can you can take minor characters like that and snowball three or four of them into one. You know, you can make a composite well, yeah, character. Exactly. Um, but they just don't really do that. Um, so yeah, like I'm looking now. I've got the wiki page up for this episode in front of me actually, and I'm looking at the um, I look at the guest appearances. I have no idea who half these fuckers are. Uh, if you don't know, I definitely like, don't know. Like, who is Gren? Who is Edison Tollett? You know, who's Lommy Greenhands? Who the fuck named Lommy Greenhands? By the way, what a fucking stupid name that is. Lommy Greenhands. But uh, no, these people don't. I don't even know where they appear. I don't believe they're ever mentioned by name in the episode. So what's the fucking, fucking point? Hell. Are they all Craster's wives or something? No, they're all dudes. Yeah, so I wouldn't I don't put know. anything past Craster. Um, no. Well, not in this show. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's one of those, you think, well, you've gone to the trouble of you know, writing these characters and giving them names, and presumably they've got something to do. But I have no idea who they are, and I, I watched it an hour ago. Jesus. Um, so, you know, I have no idea who these fuckers are. So, you know, what's the point? You know, why did you need those characters? You know, why did you need to give them names and you know, presumably give them some form of backstory at some point? It may have been in the book, but here they could have been guard number one, guard number two, extra yeah. number four. No, and it wouldn't have made no. any fucking difference. No, none. But yeah, there you go. Yeah, wider problems. Yeah. We'll, we, it's, it's we'll touch on this plenty. Um, 
getting back into yeah. this episode, as I say, we're jumping around everywhere. Um, we end up with, uh, we get back to Winterfell with Bran sat there having, I, I'm going to give it a name, okay, because this scene pops up. Yeah, you know, we've already seen it a few times last season. We'll see it many yeah. more times, especially where Danny's concerned, or any time anyone sits on a throne. So I'm going to call this peasant problems. Okay, yeah. this is the peasant problem scene. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's busy making, is what it is. It, it is absolutely. I mean, it does give us chance to peel a layer back on on whoever is holding the upper hand in the scene, in this case, Bran, whoever sat on the throne, it lets us see what kind of ruler they may be, which gives us some reflection of their character as well. Um, but, you know, it, it, look, it's a useful tool for that, and, and I understand the need for it, but when it's used as repeatedly as it is in this show, it just loses yeah. all effectiveness. It, it does, and it's it's kind of one of those. You think, well, effect. You Sorry, obviously... bad English. It's Monday night, everyone. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's been been a long couple, a long couple of weeks, um, but yeah, it's it's one of those that for me, it's it's busy making. It's where characters don't have anything else to do, but you want to remind yes. people they're there. So you want people to remember that Bran is there, and um, he's in this situation that he doesn't want to be in. He's not comfortable. He's not. No, things aren't. His life isn't fucking rosy anyway. And then you've got some blithering old idiot complaining that his 80 year old walls are falling down yeah. and, and well, you get told that you know, listening to people you'd rather not listen to is one of your responsibilities and really what like, like yeah, listening and, to and this and fucking I think, scene if nothing else the scene just kind of exists to parallel one with Joffrey um, later on and it just gives yeah. you it, Bran being nice and listening to this despite the fact he doesn't want to just shows us how much more of a douchebag Joffrey is uh, in, in later scenes it, it does but I mean even that there's a far better parallel scene to it um, to, to, uh, to, uh, to the Joffrey scenes oh, yes. uh, with yeah. Rob later on so I mean again I mean this doesn't really add anything apart from again it gives Meister Lewin a chance to crack a little joke um, which is not funny and not necessary. This this entire scene, like for me, it's, it's just to give Bran something to do. It's just a it's a calling card of this show. By now, I would say. You know? <laughs> but I mean, the, if you want to do that, if you want to remind people that Bran is there, the next two scenes are far more important and far more useful because you know you you're starting to see this again. This stuff with Bran, um, where the next scene is this POV shot of the snow running through the through the woods it's very it's very fast it's very frenetic it's very again it's, it's really dizzying and then when you know, when the camera you know, the point of view camera gets to gets to a pond or a lake or whatever it is it looks down and it's a dire wolf and then Brand wakes up and and uh, so that I mean that's fine and that leads into the next scene and that's giving us more of a clue as to what's happening with Bran and where he's going to go and then so the journey he's going to go on over the next couple of years the previous scene to me did oh yeah, no, it, it does off. nothing. Um, it's just, as I say, these scenes exist um, throughout the show just to give us some sort of character insight, and they're fine, they're functional. Um, they just don't really add anything. Um, and as you say, the, the next scene with Bran is far superior. It's actually a, a really nice scene. It's really well put together. Yeah. Um, there's some nice symmetry as he sort of looks into the pool. Um, and then you, you find out that he, he's sort of framed yeah. in exactly the same way that he is when he's the direwolf in his dream. And not like, not like the way um, Osha takes him from Hodor's back and puts him down yeah. and he sort of has to crawl that last few, no, last yard or so to the edge of the 
water. Again, it's, it's beautifully placed, it's beautifully framed, and it, it looks really nice. And even the scene where you've got the um, the diehard's point of view, where it's running through, you see the sort of the way it's coloured as well. Everything's sort of faded and very greyish and very bleak. And then you get to the um, the blossoms on the tree, and they're very vivid. And again, that sort of motif will be played up throughout the show, as we especially when we come back to this location. And that sort of thing, I find I thought was really interesting. But by this point, we're only, what, 10 minutes of the episode. I'm already thinking, fuck, I've already got 50 minutes of this. We've just had, we've sort of skimmed over it a little bit, but we've just had the comet as well, which... Well, we haven't had that yet. Well, that's that's my next note. What the fuck is up with the comet, seriously? Well, that, that's it. I mean, I as a device, when I, as we watched this, we did the short episode last week, and I said that, and they did fail. So, we, I mean, we did talk about this quite a lot last week, but I like the imagery the first time they did it. You see this comet, and um, there's, you know, there's the talk you know, between uh, Osher and Bran about what it means, and it's the first time they've you've seen it. So, they talk about, you know, it's. Uh, I heard the men saying it's you no know, foretells a great victory for Rob in the South. And then she says, oh, well, I heard stable boys saying it's blood for your father. I heard somebody else saying something else. There's only one thing that comets mean, and that's dragons. And he says, well, dragons don't exist anymore. A, we've seen the fucking things. Well, he hasn't. He hasn't, but we as an audience have. So they, they're not building up to anything anymore. And they did this a lot in the last season as well. That they kind of they they told us things we already yeah, knew as an audience. Guilty of that all the and time. Could, but I mean, and, mo- I, yeah. And I, I know, I know from a show perspective, from a narrative perspective. Yes, nobody else knows there are dragons apart from the, the handful who are still with Daenerys, who we'll come to in a second. So nobody knows about, about the dragons yet. But we as an audience have already seen them. So don't be so fucking glib with us to say. Oh, but there's dragons coming. We already know. We've seen the uh, fucking yeah, things I last think, week. I think it's just there is a oh, link in passage so that we then cut to the baby dragons. Um, and, and well, yeah. Um, and what we're, I mean, saying that, I mean, the, there's the shot, the comet itself. I thought was a really interesting device. And t- and when they first used it, I thought, oh, okay, that's quite cool. But they used the same fucking shot and the same thing for the next like, five yeah, or six transitions. It it's like Homer with the star wipes. Anywhere either. It's it's. No, I don't remember ever seeing a comet ever no, again in it's this like, show. It's like the prime example of how not to utilize Chekhov's gun. It's like here, here is a thing. Oh yeah, it's very important, and we're going to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, everyone's going to talk, but everyone's going to look at it. Everyone's going to stare longingly and wistfully at it. But it'll do fucking nothing. Yeah, we'll never mention it again in the entire seven years that are left to run on this show. We will never mention this fucking comet again. And it has no symbolic meaning whatsoever like it's no, just none whatsoever. it's a waste of a special effect um and yeah the explanation even i i can only think it exists to tie us into the next scene where we see the dragons because otherwise osha's logic of a comet means dragons um because why because dragons come from space yeah are they magic space dragons well, yeah, like yeah, fucking, are they soup dragons mate that's it mark how did i not hit on that last week it's the fucking well, soup dragon that's it well that's it but and it, like, we talked about this last season well there's a scene in the last season which is very similar where um again they're by they're out in the they're by the weeping tree aren't they and osher and bran have a, a similar conversation and she's introducing him to some of the the, the groundling history uh, the fucking wildling history um, and so, you know, some of their superstitions and stuff like that and it's a really it's a quite a nice tie into that except it fucking goes nowhere yeah it's pointless um, as, as I said apart from it set up the next scene which we had quite easily done without that line yeah it, it, it is literally there to give us an in so that we can cut back to Daenerys and see the dragons who are 
super fucking cute. Baby dragons, super cute. Yeah, still bite your fucking cock off though, so I wouldn't try anything. Um, hey, I've but, got, like, I, look, I keep a dragon. It's never bit my cock off. So then again, well, give it, never give waste it my cock at it. So, well, there you go. Mm. Um, but yes, yeah, so, I mean the, the the whole thing. I mean the whole thing of the comic is just that as a transition shot between scenes. I say it's like Homer and his Star Wipes. Now, why use anything else? Why try anything else? We've got it. We're going to use it. Apart from that, it's fucking pointless. And when we as we as we go through, we'll see that this this shot is used again and again and again. Uh, just in one occasion, they make it nighttime, so they have to retreat it and regrade the shot. Um, but yeah, it's fucking pointless. I mean, it also, it, look, time is problematic on this show anyway, as we know. But the fact yeah. that everybody is seeing the comet puts them all in the same kind of time space. Yes. And that doesn't necessarily stack up because it seems as though um, Danny has been on the road for months here. Well, she's lost all the baby weight, didn't she? She's lost all the baby weight. The dragons have grown. Um, the, the Dothrak are hungry because they're starved. Um, the horses are dropping like flies, which also, again, like, how does this get through any kind of fucking read where <laughs> you, you have a fucking storyline that goes, oh, yeah, the men are starving. We need to feed them. Then an entire fucking horse dies. Drops dead, yeah. And you don't eat the horse. Well, the stupid thing is, right, Okay, they, you, you start this scene where she's trying to feed the baby dragon and it won't eat. And she said, oh, and you've got one of her slave women, whatever they are, saying, oh, well, what, what are they supposed to eat? Oh, they're supposed to eat meat. Horse drops dead. And the first thing I thought was, oh, well, she's going to feed the horse the dragon. Yeah. And then they start talking, well, the men are starving. Well, feed them the fucking horse then. Yeah. Pretend it's corned beef. Yeah. Well, look, I don't, I don't think it matters whether you pretend it's anything. If you're starving, yeah. Yeah. Just eat the fucking eat thing. It. It's meat. Yeah. You're in the middle of the desert. There's no food. There's probably very little water. Just eat the content then. Uh, yeah. I Like, either don't have that happen at all, although I understand why why we need to see that so we can understand the gravity of this situation. The horses are exhausted and starving too. Okay, I get that. But then if you're going to do it, then let's go all the way. Let's go all in on this. Let's see her butcher her prized horse. Well, that's it. Because I mean, the next the next part of it um, is where she says, "Oh, this is the first gift that Drogo ever gave to me." So it's a nice little callback to Drogo because you know, I'm fairly sure that Aquaman's and I'm still fucking smouldering somewhere. Hey, look, and she's moved on. Aquaman is, is barely fucking rotting, and she's already he's, he's fucking this other dude that she's sending off. Well, that's it. Because I mean, she she does the thing, and it's not really no, it's not stated but it's fairly fucking obvious where right? no she's she goes oh she says oh we're gonna you know i'm sending you to the east you to the northeast you to the southeast or wherever it is and you know find land find sea find a caravan find whatever you can and just get us something so i appreciate that but then she singles out one and oh no blood of my blood don't no, do this for us oh you've never let me down before and then, who the fuck is this bloke she's clearly fucking him Clearly. Oh, absolutely. Um, I say, Aquaman's still fucking smouldering in the corner. You don't, you don't even cold yet. No, I, and just to take pause for thought there, you know, I, I said right back in the in the intro to show one and it was our first discussion about this show when we said we, we yeah. wanted to do it like the whole point is there are decisions that will be made by characters later in the show which have greatly angered people yes. and whilst there is plenty that angers me in this show all the way through a lot of the stuff that happened in the final season i was 
pretty much okay with when i was angry with stuff i was really fucking angry but most of it i was okay with and danny's yeah. whole i'll dance around the spoiler but but danny's whole thing there um her whole turn if you like um has been there since day one and i've oh, always argued that it has been and this is a prime example like people are things to her she has a yeah. mission she is determined to do what she is setting out to do and she will do it by any means necessary <laughs> she took what she needed from drogo he's gone she's moved on she'll take what she needs from someone else yeah that's right and i mean i i don't know i'm the same i had i had issues with with season eight and i had issues around that particular development but not for the not for the actual development but the execution i thought the execution was well, the execution is piss poor but, but i mean that's, that's, a, that's a different sense. thing i mean yeah i mean that's it it's been there for i say from day one and it's every now and again it just crops up and people are very quick to forget that i mean there are instances probably in every season at least once where danny will go off the fucking reservation yeah and she will do something particularly cruel particularly senseless and particularly fucking stupid yeah because it's in her nature yeah, it is and as i say we we see it even here just in a just yeah. in her speeches and the way she's acting to him like she is clearly moving on she is aligned with the next most powerful person in line who is who jorah is, well i mean jorah doesn't have any sway really with the dothraki that's his problem well no you know but i mean yeah i mean and she, I mean, later on obviously their relationship develops to a point whereby you know he has a far greater importer but i mean again we talked about it in the last season quite a lot that there seem to be a lot of scenes especially with her that are written in two halves it's like two different people have written the scene yes so the, fir- the first half is kind of like you know we'll do a bit of world building we'll kind of set everything up we'll make it kind of frivolous and kind of fun and not really do anything to drive the story forward and then there's like a crash event and then the rest of the scene is taken up by oh my god this happened why did this happen how did this happen what are we going to do about it? where are we going to go next and it's, it's so bloody frantic and they could have, if they're going to devote that much screen time to these characters use the time better and rather than having a scene of two halves have one scene that's complete and does does what you want it to do to drive your narrative not just piss around and waste time yeah. because the whole thing about you know, what what do dragons eat oh, well it's supposed to be me well, what did your brother say well my brother didn't know fuck all about dragons it's a nice callback to Viserys but we don't need he's already it. dead yeah. We 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 hear very little about him. And if you were that curious, you'd have probably watched the uh, the previously on bit before the episode started, or on the DVD before you hit on, hit uh, play play episode one. You know, so I mean, it doesn't really matter, and it just kind of wastes about three minutes of screen time when nothing fucking I think, happens. I think if he was of any import to later uh, elements of the show, if if he had any impact on later narratives, then yes keep him fresh in people's minds and call back to him like that every now and again but he is dead and gone and has no relevance to anything in future so just let him be dead and gone the only future reference will be I think the only future reference will be she names one of the dragons after him yes but so yeah that's the only time that Viserys gets mentioned because she calls one of the dragons and says they're not talking about her brother she's talking about a dragon that doesn't really matter because it has no bearing on her character or any of her narrative so if you haven't met Viserys in in the first season you haven't missed anything yeah in that yeah Yeah, exactly so yeah it's pointless pointless but anyway uh waste of a scene but at least we've seen where Danny is and what she's doing why we couldn't have opened with that one instead of the Joffrey one beyond me well yeah again more interesting kind of sets and up it picks up the where we tone left for the off. series so well yeah exactly you know that would have been quite helpful yeah um 
But yeah, it's just fucking well, weird. I mean, um, you know, really speaking, I, and God knows why I didn't think of this last week. Maybe I'm more alert this week. I did have a bit of a lurgy last week. If we're going to use this narrative device of this comet to try and tie everyone yeah. together, why didn't we open on the comet? Well, yeah, exactly. Why did we read four scenes before? Yeah, we why didn't we just open on the comet and have the comet take us to every character, and then at least yeah. it would have made some narrative sense. Yeah, it would have meant something. It would have been a purpose to it. Not, oh, we've got an, we've got a spare 10 grand. Should we just fucking animate this comic? That's not going to do anything. And then you tie it all back up in the last scene where um, as, as Gendry's on his way off, he looks up at the sky and there's a comic. Yeah, and there's your comic. Yeah. That is not but Yeah, hard, that would be too easy, is it? <laughs> No, that's right. No, it just seems to be something they've got. Oh, that that would be really cool if we put a comet with a red tail. Well, what for? Be cool to look at. Because we had like a spare fiber left in the budget, so yeah, you know, it's entirely entirely pointless. Yeah, it is. Um, But anyway, there's that scene. Moving on. Um. Yeah. So again, Danny looks and looks wistfully up at the sky to this comet, and then you come back down, and we're in the frozen north. Again, where we should have been starting with Finally, these two. Finally, yeah, and we're like, what, probably 25 minutes, half an hour in at this point, and Possibly, he's yeah. our hero. Finally. Yeah. Um, and, the f- I mean, the first thing we get is, again, a joke. Oh, it's a good one, though. It, it is It is good, but again, it doesn't feel like it should be the opener. No, but scene. it is a good one. <laughs> it, it is good. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, you and I both been there. We were both fat kids. I'm still fat now. Um, so a joke about, you know, your fat ass sank the cart. I broke the cart. We only gave you a lift because you were moaning about your feet. I mean, it's that sort of, you can you can kind of, you can buy into that. You can appreciate that. And the relationship that's been built up over the first season with those characters, you can kind of believe it. But again, it just doesn't feel like it should be where we've just come from. And you know, you've got this dire situation where people are starving to death. And you know, you get, again, you get this device of the comet. They don't use it. They don't use the time where, the time they can build to, to ride into that scene. You start straight off with this joke, which, yeah, it's funny, but it's, it doesn't, but it doesn't feel like it belongs where no, it is. No, it really doesn't. Um, but the cart breaks, so they go to take shelter with Craster, who's just yeah. a fucking charmer, isn't he? Oh, he's a fantastically lovely what man, isn't he? What an absolute tosser of a character. Um, no, I, I said I'd written the word cunt in my notes somewhere, didn't I? This is it. Craster, what a yeah, cunt. Um, other than the obvious introduction of Gilly... Um, yeah, I could really do without all of this, if I'm honest. <laughs> to be fair, there's there is one thing, and it it's, it sets up, it sets up three things. This scene, there's there, there's a purpose, uh, three purposes to this scene. One is you introduce Gilly. Mm-hmm. Two, you set up Mance Raider. Yeah, they do a very good job important. of setting Mance up as this legendary yeah. figure. Yeah. Um, and I mean it's, it's one of those and again this show is so guilty sometimes of smashing you over the head with things they don't do that here you don't know they they they, no, they tell you they name they name check Mance Raider this no, he he used to be a, he used to be a man of the night's watch and then he fucked off and did his own thing and now yeah, he's raising I mean, an army they've set him up but they haven't gone into who he is no who he was why he's getting himself an army why he's going to go south they have done any of that we'll find that as we go along and we get introduced to you know, the, the wildlings that'll all come up later on I think this is one of the really good examples they've done but they're few and far between during the show because normally it's smashed over the head with them the high you, fantasy portion where they introduce everybody about six months before yeah, you see you them yeah you do but I feel like there's been a a real quantum leap between season one and season two here 
in terms of oh, that. Yeah, like definitely. season one, we were literally, and I bemoaned it for ages on what it seems like every episode. Um, yeah. We had like 10 minutes of that's so-and-so's sister's cousin's third twice removed budgies dog sitter or whatever and I don't give a fuck Um, well that's it because it doesn't do anything and 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 it's poor whereas here they feel a lot more whilst I think structurally the show is still messy and there are some very poor narrative decisions made still um, they feel a lot more confident in their writing and a lot more confident in their storytelling ability just to not treat the audience as idiots quite in the same way that they did in season one. They're just like, oh, look, we're going to tell you all about Man's Raider here, but we'll mask it in the form of giving you these legends so it's a lot more interesting to you. We build him up this suspense so that when you meet him, he's already this larger-than-life character, and it's not done with a slap-in-the-face kind of way that, that yeah. we were introduced to pretty much all of the Lannisters for instance in season one well I was going to say Tywin was going to be my, my prime example the first time you meet him he's skinning a fucking yes. deer for no other reason than he's skinning a fucking deer um, so yeah I mean I liked, I liked the way it was done in this with, um, with, with Mance I thought it was really interesting I mean the way it'll build up through this season I think is really important as well um, so yeah I mean that was that was one of the, the, the points of this, this, um, this scene and the other one it's a throwaway line which I can guarantee most people watching will forget by the time it becomes important where they're talking about oh, saying, oh he marries his daughters and John says what about his sons yeah. And it's such a throwaway line because you think, well, maybe he doesn't have any sons. Maybe he drones him at birth. Maybe he sells him into slavery. I don't know. When we actually find out what happens to the baby boys in like a season or a season and a half's time, fuck me, that's no. Well, that's important, but we won't remember about it because, it, well, it should be important. It's but not, it's, though, because it's another one of those things that just happens and is never mentioned ever again. Well, it, it, it introduces something, which I'll we'll come on to when we get to that episode. I don't want to give away too much for people who may be playing along at home. Um, but yeah, it, it's one of those. That it's so innocuous and it's so far removed from when it will actually mm-hmm. become a thing that you're not going to remember it. If you do remember it, you think, well, what the fuck's that yeah. about? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess there's that. And of course, we do, you know, we get more of this relationship between John and Mormont, which I love. Um, you know, it's more of the evolution of John as a leader, although this feels slightly out of step here that I think he's probably come on far enough that he wouldn't be as stupid as he's portrayed in this scene yeah I think that, I mean it was it's one of those it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword because on the one hand yes he's he's, he's grown into that role where he's thinking actually I am I am going to speak up for people because you know what I don't know what I, I think it was, it was a really stupid comment it was a stupid thing he actually responded to where there are other things he could have responded to which were far more important but again it's this thing of I'll speak my mind I'll say my piece because nobody else is doing it for me and I feel that no I have to make a statement or I have to do something so there's that and that will come up time and time again with John whereby he has he has these big you know he has important decisions to make he has big decisions to make that people may not say like so he's he's kind of he's growing into that thing where he feels I will actually speak I will do something but again he's naive enough to get it wrong and he says the wrong thing at the wrong time and he gets called out on it and that again that, that informs his development but I think you're right I think that that was probably needed about halfway through season one when he's learning that yes okay you're a good fighter and you can know you can teach the men how to fight but in terms of diplomacy yes. intact, you're a fucking yes. child. It feels, like a, it feels like a slight step backwards for him. Um, yeah. 
And only slight. I think you're right. I don't think it's a massive problem. Again, though, I feel like with a lot of these characters right now, and this, again, is a problem with with pilot episodes for a season like there especially being the start of season two there is a larger than normal probability that this could be quite a few people's first episode of game of thrones they may have come into this having not seen Mm. season one and then have maybe gone backwards later on people do that all the time i couldn't personally but people do no i I think it's my uh, my ocd wouldn't let me do that but that's the thing no me either i'd have to watch from the beginning but you know that's the thing that people do so you know it's kind of like the the stanley method of every comic book is someone's first comic book you know so you constantly yeah. have to reinforce spider-man's origin and you constantly have to reinforce captain america's origin and it might just be in a throwaway yeah. line or it might be in an action and their response to that action and i kind of feel like maybe yeah. i think at least that's what the intent is here because i've been thinking about this a lot since last week and i think that is the intent here with john in that it doesn't stick in your teeth so much if you've already seen season one that you're like oh fuck off he wouldn't do that because he is still learning yeah and it it does i think if you're a new viewer inform to you that this because he looks every inch the hero by now he's in his furs he's got the sword you know he's he's clearly got the most expensive makeup and wardrobe out of everybody um he's definitely at this point he's the one of the poster boys for the show so it's important, yeah. I think, to then acknowledge that actually, no, he's still young and he's still learning. Yeah, he's still yeah. learning. And, and I think that is the intent here. And they they managed to walk that tightrope, I guess, reasonably well. I think maybe they lose the back foot slightly, but they do it. They do it fairly well. It didn't stick in my teeth enough that it really fucking annoyed me. Um yeah that's fair you know as i said credit where it's due i think the writing is a lot more confident here and whereas last year they would have just given you john's backstory in one big blurb around a campfire or something uh they they decided to approach it a little bit more eloquently and i'll I'll give them props for that even if they didn't quite stick the landing um yeah i mean for the most part it was fine i mean again even though the fact that it's, it's never been met, it's not been mentioned in this episode you know he, he's constantly reminded of the fact he is a bastard so I mean it's, we don't get the whole thing again if, it was, you know, if it was, his father wasn't and all the rest of it all we get is now what's his name Jon Snow ah listen here bastard yeah. and then he moves on and I think that again that shows a, a bit of an evolution in the, in the, the confidence that the writers have in the audience yeah, definitely because they, they trust the people will actually remember oh fuck yeah He's no. His his his, his father was uh, his father knocked somebody up, and now that he's he's the result of it. He's not he's not a trueborn Stark, um, but we don't need to be told that again. And I think that's no. That's it's a nice way they've actually done yeah. about it. So you know, I guess there is some purpose to this scene. It certainly brings us back to John because we need to see him. Um, but yeah, um, I, I'll be pleased when we don't have to see any more Craster. Not not a fan. Yeah. Um, no disgusting yeah. old man uh, there's a thing about old men in this show a lot of them are just gross um, well yeah and I think the ones who aren't who so the ones who are slightly more moral tend to be 
slightly maligned for it. Yeah. So I mean, in this scene whereby you know even even Craster's you know is is uh, out of pop at Mormon. So well, yeah, you know he says Mormon tries to be diplomatic. Oh, we chose different paths. What he wants to say is you're a disgusting old fucktard who shags his daughters. But what he says, oh, we took different paths, and immediately just turned back and he said, yeah, yours is the one that had nothing but boys on it. Again, implying he's some sort of kiddie fiddler or something. Um, just because, you no, know, why else would you be hanging around with? boys when you could be off you know, shagging your offspring or whatever so and, and again it's just always turned back on any sort of noble or righteous characters and you had it with Ned as well yeah their, their virtue was kind of thrown in their face yes yeah and I think you get a lot of that I mean Crasso's a, um, Crasso's a very good example of that whereby he will just use anything to fuel his own ego effect and say well yeah I'm better than you because yeah I've got all these women hanging around me the fact that all you know, your daughters are scared shitless of you it's neither here nor there yeah yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah, good point. Um, although, having having said that, um, I think even w- when you get a character like like Mormon, then where where that tries to get thrown back in his face, I still it, it, he's still able to come away from that with an element of dignity. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, which again plays into the, the conversation he has with John. Whereas you know the likes of Craster and, and Walter Frey are just irredeemable disgusting old men <laughs> yeah that's true no, that's, that's I, no think that, I, I think that I think that I mean the, um, I can't remember who plays um, Mormon but he's, you know, he comes across as very dignified he's always very very dignified very stoic at times and I think you know, it's, it, it serves him well I think the actor does a very good job actually and sometimes he doesn't always get the best lines sometimes the writing's a bit iffy um well, if that's the thing on this show I mean that's yeah fucking hell that's this show for you isn't yeah. it so. um, but yeah so, I mean, but he always comes out of it particularly well um, so yeah I mean it's, it's an interesting one the, the, the way that these characters, the characters like that are handled is generally not that um, not that favourable um, but somehow he still manages to come out of it looking like James Bond compared to Southern Cut yeah uh, not difficult to come out on top here really is it yeah true um, so yeah okay so that's that scene done and dusted let's yeah. move on no more to fucking say about it it's a little bit pointless yeah um, but, but so, then talking about pointless we get the fucking comment again yeah now if the comment was ever going to mean anything anyway surely it would be here yes surely Melisandre would yeah. be explaining to us yeah, what it is yeah all over that shit yeah, explaining the meaning or explaining the, 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 the significance of the symbolism and all the rest of it. Now, the thing that bugged me with this, right, is that apart from that, it's an entirely fucking pointless shot. It's the same shot as before, except now they've gone and made it nighttime. What the fuck for? Yeah. It was pointless enough as it was, but then to go and, to go and frame it in such a way that actually, yeah, it's yeah, nighttime as well. Good point. The colour the color palette hasn't changed. They haven't, they haven't graded it properly. They've just changed the background. Good point. Um... It, and I say, if, if ever it was going to be important, it's this scene, but they just ignore it completely. Everybody ignores it completely anyway. Yeah. But it's just like, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you spending the money? And then when we get to the end of the scene, I've got another point on the comic pool against that when we get to the end uh, of the scene. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, you're dead right. Um, why, <laughs> you, why even bother? But nevertheless it's something they did um it's pointless uh but the main thing about this scene this is where it turns for me is from this scene out now i think it's pretty much great until the end um and and this scene primarily it just introduces us to a to a whole new arc and a whole new set of characters that we've we've really heard about but not really met at this point um so i mean it's our it's our introduction to sir davos um have we seen melisandre 
four. No, this is her first, first, uh, her first okay. appearance as well. And, yeah, and, and of course, Stannis, yeah, who is already fucking ten times smarter than Ned within a well, scene. Well, yeah, I mean... Like, <laughs> well, that's it. He's dumb. And he even calls him out on... You know, we, we've talked about how stupid Ned was. That A, he went to the person he was, you know, was going to out and said, I'm going to out you. And B, he didn't tell anybody what the fuck was going on. He had, um, he had nothing to back it up. So his first thing is, right, okay, read me back this memo. Like every, We've all had this shitty boss who dictates something. You write it down and they change it as you're reading it back. So he says, he well, no, that's not what I said. That's, that's exactly what he said. Well, no, I didn't mean that. Put something else in. And he's, he's doing that. So, I mean, it's, it's there for comic effect. And, you know, it's, it's there to give him, you know, again, this sense of gravitas and importance. He's, you know, he, you know, he honors the fact that, you know, He's he's the rightful blood. No, he's the right, rightful heir by blood because Joffrey's not. And he honours the fact that um, Jamie is a knight, so we address him as a knight. He, he's, he's he's quite traditional in that sense. But he's like Ned Stark. Ned Stark's biggest failure was he only told me about this. Well, I'm going to tell every fucker because at least then people will know what's going on, and it'd be a lot harder to silence me once every bastard in the kingdom yeah. knows. So yeah, absolutely straight away. He's like, yeah, no, Ned Stark fucked this up. I'm not doing the same. Yeah, yeah, and and he's instantly smarter than Ned, so I like him already. Uh, yeah, he'll be he'll be a character that very much has his ups and downs, but here for the most part, I'm liking him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, as we go on, as his character will do some good things and bad things, and I think that you know, generally he's pretty well portrayed. And I think that I, I mean, I haven't seen I haven't seen much of him. Um, on rewatch, so I mean, I, I don't know that, but from memory, I think he's generally well handled for the yeah, most part. I mean, part. As, as as his character arc goes on, he will do some fucking horrible things. Well, yeah, but uh, so does yeah. everybody in the show. That's just kind but, of hard to for the most part. Like probably the most level-headed person in the race for the throne. Well, yes and no. Yes and no. He's kind of a bit like a cult leader. Well, I mean, yeah. Look, like religion is is fucked. Um, I'm sorry if you're a religious person. Listen, this these are my views. You're perfectly entitled to your own, and you know I I encourage you to follow whatever is in your heart. But religion is fucked if you ask me so but that doesn't make him a fucked up person no it doesn't but I mean this scene it's quite interesting the first scene where they're on the beach and they're burning the presumably they're burning the old gods um no they're burning they're burning the symbols of the old gods um and you now you've got Melisandre doing all this stuff about the Lord of Light and she you know the Lord of Light has chosen his Envoy or whatever, wherever the fuck Stannis is supposed to be, and you no, know, talks about the burning sword, which is a great callback in like six years' time. Um, you know, that, that'll, that'll come back again. You know, she, you know, he pulls the sword out of the fire and stabs it in the sand, and it all goes out. It's really nice symbolism. It's 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 some there's some really nice foreshadowing as well, which I think is really important. I think it's one thing that when it's done well in this show, it really pays off. Um, but yeah, it's this whole thing. You've just got these you know, fanatical followers who just who just say like on a beach and woman in red says to burn shit so we'll burn it and the priest who's like no you were all named in the light you know, or you named in the light of the old gods and now you know if I do you were christened and all of a sudden no, these, are, these are the things you swore to follow but now you have, no, you're off with this heathen this heretic whatever else and people just don't want to listen because they you know they've been seduced or blinded or, whatever, or brainwashed whatever it may be the fact that no this is the way forward and this is the path of salvation there's Lord of Light and all that box and it's it's quite an interesting thing but I always have likened Stannis certainly when you get some of the decisions he makes later on as well it's kind of like he's he's a sort of David Koresh character he, he believes in what he's doing and he has somebody who's guiding him in the name of the Lord or God or however, however you want to frame it that he will only take counsel from this person to a point where when the council becomes fucking stupid 
and people start turning on him, he still doesn't care because he's there's this almost fanatical following. And you don't there's this, knowing what's coming, it's easy to read back into into this scene and what you get. But even like the speech he gives and the fact you've got the you know, the, the, the Meister, um, whose name I can't remember, Meister Crescent, I think it is. Um, he comes in and he's not you can't do this, this is wrong, this is heresy, all the rest of it. It's kind of setting up something that, again, isn't that important yeah. in the show. But it's just, again, it gives a sense, it gives the character something to do, it gives the character some sort of introduction that we can then, we can then build on for the next couple of years with Stannis. Um, and then as the Lord of Light becomes important to other characters and, and no, there are other, other women in red who have other opinions on what the teachings or prophecies or whatever the fuck they are mean, it's then it be, you know then it becomes something slightly different again, but for the moment it just seems to be this um, odd blind acceptance, this blind faith, which I think is just misplaced. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, it, it it obviously is misplaced, but odd. I don't know so much. Religion I mean, mis- misplaced in terms yeah. of the show, not. Mi- okay. I don't mean misplaced as a misplaced faith in, in the actual God side of it, but misplaced in terms of it doesn't belong here. No, not necessarily. But then, this show has a lot of elements that don't really gel together anyway, and this just feels like this again kind of belongs with that whole kind of slightly more mystical edge that the show has with the white walkers and the dragons as opposed to the, yeah. the politics of chasing the throne and it's here where those yeah. two most directly collide head on which is probably why it feels a little off um i like yeah. it it's i i've always i've always found that side of stannis and, and melisandre quite creepy uh much in the way that the cult is creepy yeah, as definitely. you said and, and i like that um, so I do, I do enjoy this storyline. Um, so it's it's always a good time for me when when we're over here seeing creepy shit happening. So <laughs> yeah, oh, there'll, there'll be some creepy shit. Yeah, plus you know Melisandre is never the hardest person to look at. So well, no, there are two occasions where she really fucking uh, well, is. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, we'll get, we'll get to, that. to that as well. I tell you something I noticed in in this scene actually at, at the end, or, or this group of scenes, if you like, um, yeah. which I really should have noticed first time through, and maybe I did and just didn't twig until it became important later on. But yeah. never noticed that a necklace glows. Yeah, uh, I, maybe I just did on a subconscious level, and so it it was never important. I never, here, I never I did. Like, well, I never did. Me, her necklace glows when she's doing magic. But, but that's what I was saying again. Um, again, it, it, it's watching it back with hindsight. It's very easy to pick out these things that you go, "Oh fuck yeah, that, yeah. see how that works." Whereas at the time, at the time, there's just and it's it's not a criticism as such, but there's so much detail. I, mean, I, th- I think that's excellent. In that, every little that, aspect, like, suspension of disbelief. I've never questioned how she's able to do what she's doing, and when the necklace does come to become more important later on i never question it then either mm. just, yeah okay i'll buy that you know, as i say suspension of disbelief but the fact that that whole mechanism and system is there and is there from day one yeah. from more or less the first time we see here that's the kind of shit where you go look you can get that right how do you get everything else so fucking wrong when you can get simple things like, you know, simple things like the narrative arcs wrong, but something like so, like the minutia of something like that, where most people aren't even going to care and it. nail it. Like, yeah. 
But that's the thing. There's because there's so much minutia, there's so many details in every single scene. Yeah. That you don't know what you don't know what matters and what doesn't because there are some things which no the fact that most in the most times you see Tyrion in the first two or three scenes he's getting drunk he's drinking something yeah you come to you come to you know you come not to think about it you come not to you come not to look at the cup you know I mean that there there's a thing um, which happens much later on I think it's in season eight where Varys does something and actually it's repeated from season one. And it's not. It's a detail. If you saw it in season one, you might remember it. But then it's so bloody innocuous. I'm not going to say what it is because it'll give away part of virus. Yeah, on it. I, I know. I know what you're referring to, though. And yeah, that's a prime example. But, but it's yeah. so innocuous. It means absolutely fuck all at this stage because and you think, well, yeah, it's it's a thing. But then when you get to it, to be fair, had I not, yeah, had I not read about it on Tinterwebs afterward, it had been like six years since I'd seen season one when that happened I was exactly. like I can't fucking remember that well yeah that's it that's, that's, the, that's the thing of it and be, the, because there's so much of that and they get so much of that right it's really then frustrating when as yeah. they get the big shit uh, very frustrating um, but yeah that's nice um, I, and yeah just our introduction to this group of characters I like them all so I'm quite happy I mean Sedavos yeah. obviously will go on to be in every subsequent season and be quite a major player in the show yeah, um, yeah and I quite liked as well I mean I've, I've, I've written in my notes um, they're, they're having this scene around the table and obviously we don't see a great deal of this location no. because very soon Stannis will march forth somewhere else or sail forth somewhere else and you don't see Dragonstone again I think until season 7 yeah I think you're right um, so I mean it's again I'd forgotten this all happened there um, so I mean you see that as well but then so you have this big scene around the table where they're all talking about strategy and he's like I'm not fucking joining forces with my, with my brother because you know he's, he's claiming my throne and uh, Rob Stark's a thief and an imposter and you know, Joffrey's an imposter and a thief and he's just like He's, you know, he's he's going through all this, all the reasons and recapping all the stuff that we've already seen in this episode, apart from Renly. So who gives a fuck? Um, but yes, yeah, so, I mean it's it's an interesting scene. But then you get the bit with um, uh, with the Meister again, where he poisons it, he poisons his chalice um, to give to Melisandre, and Davos sees it and he's like, "Don't yeah. do that." But no, without again, it's the sort of character he is, whereby he's like, "I'm trying to do the right thing, but I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make an example of it. I'm not going to call you out because that will cause you problems." And I'm not that sort of person. I would rather just say, "Look, can sort yourself out. We, we can deal with this. Just don't go through with what you're going to, what you're thinking of." And it just falls on deaf ears, and ultimately, and um, the you know, he the Mesa takes a sip, and he ends up dying. Whereas Melisandre swings the damn thing. Downs, downs what's left of it and is absolutely fine um, and again it's, you just got Davos, no, Davos looking at that and going I told you so yeah I mean prick. Sir Davos he's, he's an interesting character because certainly for these first few seasons that he's in I could never quite put my finger on what his game was and what he was playing um, and you know as you yeah. really get to know him get under his skin turns out his game is Nothing. He's just a thoroughly honourable, nice dude who yeah. doesn't want to see yeah, any he's... bloodshed, particularly, um, and and will just yeah, generally right. act and, in and... the most level-headed and reasoned manner. 
Yeah, and I mean, again, you get there's a line with Stannis where he, made, he makes a comment about thieves, and he directs it at Davos. And again, you get there's, there's not, you get the sense there's this nice backstory coming whereby he's going to be some sort of snug braggart or all the rest of it. And as it turns out, even his um, even his crimes, as they were, were done with the best intentions and were honourable. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's, it's 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 interesting because you don't see that many characters set up this this way in this show. There are a few, I think if any, whiter-than-white characters in this show. But I think Sir Davis is probably the closest that you will come. Like, yes, he has he has had some past transgressions, but they are, as you say, done with good intent. So... Yeah. But again, I think that's that's one thing you, we can know. Again, we can all relate to. We all try to make good decisions. We all try to do the right thing. Sometimes shit happens. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's fair. No, that's something in the show that... You know, we say nobody's whiter than white, but no, very few people are in real life anyway. You know, everybody's got something. So in, in that respect, yeah, no, there's something that you can draw and say, well, yeah, I try to do things. I try to do things properly. We try to do things right. Sometimes things go right. Sometimes things go wrong. But I'm generally not a bad person. Or then you go down the Joffrey route of saying, well, yeah, I'm a cunt, but fuck, I don't care. Um, and I think it's one thing that they do quite well with some characters is that they do portray that sort of. There's a bit more realism and a bit more. Gray. There are a few more shades of grey involved. There aren't no, there aren't too many purely good or purely bad characters in this show, and sometimes it works really well with the writing. And the the, act, the acting is usually pretty solid, but sometimes the writing is a bit lets them down. Um, and other times it's absolutely spot on. I mean, see where you get sort of Tyrion talking about his past and stuff like that. It works really well, even though he's saying that yes, things went wrong, but this happened or that happened or I learned from that and again it just lets as a viewer lets you feel something towards these characters it's not just no he turned up drunk to my party so make him drink to death yeah. you know it's there are layers to a lot of characters yeah definitely sorry that was a bit of a rambly way of saying what I'd already said uh, yeah but yeah you reinforced your point well <laughs> <laughs> about four times yeah. I think um, so okay moving on then from them because geez we're going to run long if we don't start moving on um, we, we're actually further into the episode near think yeah well we're, we're actually rounding rounding the bend towards the, the final straight here but as I say this stuff is all good from here on out so we get um, yeah a, everything with Rob is excellent um, yeah like yeah, the, but the scene between um, Rob and Jamie is, is great full of tension again it's Jamie pushing buttons yeah yeah it's my favourite scene of the episode because I mean it's, it's, he's there pushing buttons and just the, the, the way he speaks uh, not to Rob is that he, he's the same with everybody he's very familiar he's very condescending um I find I just said Siri off for no reason. Don't know why. Um, he's very familiar with everybody. Um, he speaks to everybody in the same time. He doesn't talk down to Rob, even though he probably no. feels like he could. Um, he just no, he's constantly he mocks everybody in the same way. He deals with everybody in the same way because he believes because he's a Lannister. He believes he's better, and so he, you get that straight away. And he's a, he's, a, he's not taking him seriously. But then Rob has this every everything that Jamie throws at him. He's got a, he's got a response for even down to. Well, no. Every, everybody knows that. No, everybody knows that your nephew isn't actually your nephew; he's your kid. That's out. Yeah. So that no, you can't you can't hide behind that anymore because everybody knows. You can deny it all you want, but it's out there. And then no, talking about the fact that yes, okay, he trusts he trusts his bannerman with his life. He just wouldn't trust he wouldn't trust them to not sell Jamie back to the Lancers for a shitload of gold. So no, there's this whole thing. Everything Jamie throws at him. Rob's got a response for and then even down to sending in a fucking direwolf to very 
very that's successfully menacing. No, that like, thing was fucking huge at this yeah, point. Uh, but again, see time in this show. So like Daenerys has been walking for what three, four months maybe. And last time we saw these direwolves, they were still relative pups. Well, I mean, I think the last time we saw that particular one, it was where it was um, biting somebody's fingers off, and it looked like a husky, like a normal sized yeah. husky dog. Now you could ride it. Oh fuck yeah, this is battle cat size. Yeah, now. Uh, but it's fucking awesome um, again. And- just the power play from Rob of just yeah. showing to Jamie that he is in control of this absolute monster, and his control and his mastery of this beast is such yeah. that he can stop it inches away from Jamie's face and it will not flinch without an order. Like, it yeah. is a real, like, back up, don't fuck with me because this direwolf will it eat is. your fucking face. Yeah. Now, there's only one problem I had with this scene. Um, Rob is, you know, Rob, there's a, a the back and forth between two of them is brilliant and then when Rob, no, Rob lays it on that, yeah, we know that, no, you're, we know that Joffrey's your bastard son. We know that. And you threw, you threw my brother out of the window because he saw, he saw you with the queen. How the fuck does he know that all of a sudden? Yeah. There is, there is a lot of, um, there's a lot of jumping to conclusions here, isn't there? Yeah. Where did that come from? Because, okay, yeah, we know that, no, Sherlock Catelyn found a blonde hair in the tower, which could have belonged to anybody because, no, people have blonde hair. Um, and all of a sudden we've got this jump that because Joffrey is Jamie's bastard son Jamie must have thrown Bran out the window yeah what yeah Look, again we, we as an audience know because we saw it it's again, not it's not ago. the first time people have jumped to that conclusion in this show narratively either that has happened before no it's not um, and it's bad it's bad writing simple we, we need to know how he's come to that conclusion yeah, but we never get there. We just get, oh, and you threw my brother over the window, did I? What? What yeah. the fuck? Where did you get that from? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that was my only problem with the scene. I thought, apart from that, I thought it was absolutely perfect. Yeah, minor stuff, I suppose. Um, we move on to what is probably my favourite scene. Um, well, yeah, but only because of who's in uh, it. Yeah, I guess. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, we, we move on. We get... Um, Littlefinger and Cersei uh, in this just immense power play. Oh, sorry, you, you've you've missed one. I thought I thought you were talking about the scene with Shay and Tyrion, which again is entirely fucking pointless. Oh, that is, I've not even written any notes on that. Um, it doesn't. I've I've just written down what the fuck is the point of this scene. Uh, yeah, there you go. I, I've not even bothered making notes. Look, it's nice. Um, as, as you said, any time we get to see Tyrion is is great. I think Shay is wonderful, as I said last season as well. So it's fine quite happy to see them it is probably there only to remind us who Shay is um yeah but yeah no we, we move on uh, the next important scene we get is between Cersei and Littlefinger and there is just this absolutely superb power play between the two of them yes um, and I, I've mentioned time and time again in season one like given the right material Littlefinger is fantastic Given the yeah. piss poor material that he gets most of the time, he's cringeworthy. Yeah, but I mean, I, I really like the scene. I mean, it's as I said, it's the power play, but I think that there's one thing that Littlefinger did a lot of in the last season, especially with Varys, where he talks in riddles and he tries to he tries to make out how clever he is, and he tries, he likes to think that nobody's nobody. It's these sort of very thinly veiled things. Where he thinks that if he says them in such a way, people won't call him out yes. on it, and most people don't. Um, Cersei will though Ned sort of did 
once Cersei just wasn't having any of it. So he makes this some veiled comment about, you know, he grew up in other people's houses. He grew up in foster care, effectively, as it would be now. Grew up in other people's houses. People took him in and looked after him, but he never never, never, never let him get himself get close enough to the girls in the family because that way leads to problems. And I have heard in some families that even brothers and sisters form certain allegiances or become overly close, and that becomes a problem. Again, having just seen the fact that Stannis has outed um, Jamie and Cersei and Robert's just called Jamie on it now Littlefinger's calling Cersei out on it and Cersei's the only one who responds because her first response is no. she lets him talk he you know, he makes his thing on knowledge is power and straight away she like, sees him kill him no way to change my mind power is power and you see the look on Littlefinger's face when he realises that he's massively overplayed it's his hand wonderful it's wonderful her, it's her performance in this scene as well is superb her delivery of power is power is incredible yeah. and an example of, I fair, guess I would imagine that line exists in the book and has been ripped from it but oh, probably. an example of just, just how good this show can be yeah and I mean, to be fair I mean any anything with Lena Headey and right up until the end of season 6 beginning of season 7 is absolutely spot on she doesn't miss no. a beat and it's only I think when the writing goes a bit off and they don't know what to do with her yeah I would agree I would agree I mean they kind of turn they kind of turn into a pantomime villain they towards the end they absolutely do that and last season she is a cackling pantomime villain yeah and I mean I think the problem is that the, at that stage the directors don't know what the writers are intending the writers don't know what the directors and the cast are going to do and it just turns into a big old mess and I think she's handled so well up until as I said midway through season 6 might be the end of season 6 um, I think that right up until that point she, she doesn't miss a beat she gets everything absolutely spot on and then it's like the, it's like they recast her in season 7 yeah. and they bring in somebody who has never seen the show never read the books has no idea what this character is about because it's just all over the fucking place and I don't think that's her fault because I've never seen her in anything where she gives a bad I performance I think the majority of the time with this show when there are issues I I I think the majority of the time it is not the actor's fault. I think, you know, as I've mentioned before, in general, I think all of the cast are absolutely stellar. Um, They just don't necessarily get the right material. There are one or two exceptions, you know, occasionally we get a bit of a duffer. Um, But generally, you know, and sometimes what, you know, what are generally very good actors do turn in a bit of a ropey performance on this show as well. But in general, the the cast are all excellent. Um, and like I said, when, yeah. it's when you get scenes like this where they are well-written and well-paced and the dialogue is on point, this cast just soars and these scenes take off. You know, this is edge-of-the-seat stuff. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> it's wonderful. It is a wonderful scene. Um, so, yeah, love it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, the one thing I did, one thing I liked about it as well is that she's where she's bit, she's exhibiting this power to little finger. She's like, you know, this is the power I wield. Where she's like, slit his throat. No way, I change my mind. Take three steps back, turn around, close your eyes, stand on one leg. You know, it's like she could tell she could tell him to do whatever. She you know she she could tell him to have a mass orgy in the middle of the street, it. and yeah. they would because she's the queen mother or the Queen Regent or wherever, or wherever she's been uh, sold as that, no that's that's the power she has and I think that's the sort of power the little thing that would fucking cream himself yes. over yeah absolutely um, so wonderful scene um, and then we cut back to Rob again this time with Kat yeah um, and well no again this, this is another one it's a scene in two halves and the first half the first half actually is important for the narrative 
but it doesn't it just seems to drag a bit it's a short scene but he's dictating his terms of peace to Tywin knowing f- to, to a, a Lannister nephew to go back to Tywin knowing full well that they're not going to be accepted and it's just one of those and it just gives an excuse to show that yes he's got all these you know, he's got all these lords around him who are sucking his dick and kissing his ass and all the rest of it that you know, for, for no reason whatsoever at some point in the middle of the scene someone just goes King of North and then they all join in and say what the f- he's still fucking talking yeah. This, it's, it's so frustrating and then you get to the second half of it where oh, it's the next scene technically so you end the scene where they're all dismissed and Theon says oh, you need my father's help I can get my father's help no your father who fucking hates you and I'd let you go off with Ned Stark to be his slave you can get his help and he almost comes across as sincere he's talking about how much Ned meant to him the fact, no, the fact that Ned taught him various things and then straight away the next scene is Cat's going there's no fucking chance in hell we're doing that. I'm not doing that because I don't trust him. And no, straight away, you've got all these advisors and all these people kissing his ass, and the one person who will tell him straight is his mother. Wonderful. This scene, but it's, yeah, a, it's, it's a wonder. It, look, again, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record wherever Kat is concerned, but whenever <laughs> yeah. she gets to interact with any of the mm. other Starks and she gets to be this matriarchal presence, she is amazing um, and, and the, yeah. the pair of them absolutely nail their dynamic in this scene like we you know yeah they, they do all the way through to be fair and I mean I think the, the thing that gets me with this scene actually as well is that all the way through it's been like he's she's she's his mother and he's still a little boy and she's still looking after him and all the rest and in this one there's a massive turning point where he's like no you're going to do what I fucking tell you to now because I need you to. I know what I'm doing. I'm not a child. I'm not playing at this. I'm not playing at war. There's a strategic advantage in you doing X, Y, and Z. So where she thinks he's being petulant, saying you're going to go to wherever it is and no, and no, go to I think Stone Glass, I think it's called. You're going to go here. And she said, why would I do that? No, you need me here. Said, no, I need you to go make peace with Renly or go join forces with Renly or wherever it is. There's a strategic thing I need you to do. And all of a sudden she sees him as being a general he's actually leading an army and he's contemplating a war he's not just um, out to, he's not out to get the guy who killed his father he all of a sudden knows what he's fucking doing and there's a, the penny sort of drops for her and there's sort of this newfound respect almost between the two of them where she's like okay I will do that for you because that's what yeah. you need as opposed to as opposed to her going I know what's best for you I'm going to tell you what to do and you're going to listen but in such a way that you know, it's motherly and you listen and still think it's your idea. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, fuck, you're actually a man who knows what he's doing. Yes. And it's, it's played absolutely perfectly as well. I think the two of them absolutely yeah, nail it. Yeah, right. It's a and wonderful think, scene. It really is. And, and it does. They, they yeah. tread that balance between even in the scene, they flick back and forth between him being king at north and him being cat's little boy and then back to him being yeah. king at north. Like, they handle that dynamic... Yeah perfectly and it mirrors then the next scene where we see a similar situation yes. played out with Cersei and Joffrey and again you know it just highlights what what a what an honourable man that that Rob has grown to be and what a good ruler that he should come to be and certainly the, the general yeah. that he is uh, compared to the snivelling little yeah, child. snivelling little jizz rag that is Joffrey, really. To be, I mean, to be fair, I mean, we've we talked about, as I mentioned earlier, we talked about him last season being kind of emo. He's going through that thing now. Where he's painted his bedroom walls black. Yeah, yeah. This is this is his MCR phase. 
Yeah, it's like I, I, I can't have flowers and vines on a throne and wall. That no, that that throne is for a ruler, so I need fucking heads on spikes and shit like that to show people how powerful I am. Because as Tyrion points out earlier on, I am actually no fucking yeah. good for anything. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't thought of it like I, that. I, but I'm, yeah. not, I'm not a leader. I'm not a warrior. I, I, I have to, I have nothing to show for anything. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make a point. I'm gonna make it look like I'm really I really know what I'm doing. I'm a really good king. I'm a really good warrior. When in fact I'm a sniveling little chiser. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean I, I I quite like that. And then as they go through the scene, he could no he he alludes to the fact that no, he he knows or he's heard about um, J, the, the the story of, of Jamie and Cersei as well. And he she's or our, our enemies will say anything to to undermine you. And he, he straight away puts it back as to being about him. Yeah. Um, well, it's not about his mother being you know, slut shamed or all the rest of it. It's, yeah, well, my, no, my enemies, they say these things because they know they can't beat me. They know they can't best me. And no, they put too much stock in their women. And immediately he just turns it back to, I. well, it's got to be about me. Why would it not be about me? I'm the important one. I'm the king, goddammit. And he just, again, he's that petulant child yeah. thing. And no, again, and again, again he, he, he again goes too far. Whereas you know, the previous scene, it shows the, the sort of the, the honor and the respect that you know, the Rob Hatton you know, holds, you know, the esteem he holds his mother in, the fact that he relies on her as an ally rather than as, as his mother. And Joffrey's, you know, Joffrey's just, you know, she's just another woman who's not as good as him because she's not king. Yeah, I'm he king. pushes her so, way, way, way too far. And no, no, whereas no, they're already, they're already no, he's, he's kind of acknowledging that. Well, no, yeah, I don't care if you're a slut of my uncle's actually my father because my father cheated on you anyway, so fuck you. And he kind of, he kind of, the way, again, the way he phrases it, you know, it's just, oh, I'm, I'm not surprised you took whores when you grew bored of you. And she gives him an absolute fucking belt, which, again, I'm quite, I was quite happy to see and I wanted to see more of it. But the, the response of everybody, is, it's like that thing in the room where the pin drops and everybody's, <gasps> and they're waiting to see what happens next. And then he turns around to look and they all start whistling and carry on working as if they've not seen or heard anything. Yeah. And I, I really liked I really liked it for that and it's sort of the delivery of that bit. And then again his you know again going back to what we were talking about the start with the way they said they're moving his character forward, he's like, That anybody else on that's treason. Just think about that next time. I've already shown I'll take somebody's head off. So just no, have a have a little thing, yeah. woman. And no, don't get don't get above yourself again. Yeah, and again it's I think it sets the dynamic again though, because his words and and it does come through in his delivery as well. His voice quavers when he says it. Yeah. It, it, anytime anybody challenges him, especially a woman, anytime he's challenged, his his voice does sort of quiver a little bit, as if he doesn't know how to take it because he doesn't feel that they have a right to challenge no, and him. And he knows full well that he can make all the threats in the world that he likes. Yeah. That is his mother. And she ain't no normal mother neither. <laughs> like, no, but not. But even like, even when it sounds earlier on as well, he, he doesn't know how to deal with that, and he thinks the only way he can do. And part of it is because of the way they're setting his character up, the way they're moving him forward. But part of it again is that you think back to the way that Robert treated Cersei. Yeah, uh, he was violent. He was aggressive. He was dismissive and disparaging, and um, largely chauvinistic. And. If, if that's your role model of course you're going to go down that way that, that route of course you're going to be a complete prick to women because that's all you've that's ever all, known yeah that's what you've been exposed to from an early age yeah yeah, um, yeah so, and, and, I, and I guess that is his role model as a ruler as well if you want to follow that through to its logical sort of well yeah I mean no, we, we, we talked about Robert and Rob, there were some really nice touches to Robert's character but Robert was a bully yes he was a hot-headed temperamental bully even to a point where he was going to execute Ned for treason one minute and 
no, give him his job back the next. No, it's like he didn't know if he was coming or going because he was ruled by his emotions. Joffrey isn't so much that way, as we'll find out later on. He's a bit of a robot in, late, in, in later episodes and in, in the next couple of seasons, whereby he doesn't have emotions. He doesn't have doesn't derive pleasure from a great deal. No, um, he just kind of wants to see how far he can push things and, and what he can get away with because he's a sniveling little shit. Um, and yeah, it's, it's it's interesting that I hadn't really thought of it in terms of how how Robert was portrayed. But yeah, there's a very definite parallel between the fact that he has no, he largely had a problem with women expressing opinions, and Joffrey seems to be the same. Yeah, imagine that—a poor attitude towards women on this show. I know, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe no, it's there. Not on such a progressive forward-looking show as this uh, where all women are treated with such respect um, oh absolutely just like yeah. in the characters are yeah, their own right just like in the next scene where we get a repeat of the worst scene ever <laughs> yeah although I, I, I do like it as a callback I think it's entertaining I think it's I funny found the it fact fucking they, hilarious that they would call back the fact that they've scene. gone back and done it I mean they dropped the, they dropped the best line yeah um, for, but yeah, I mean, but we the didn't fact get you have Roz delivering arse, it, did we? But well, that's it. But I mean, the fact you get Roz now delivering this, the same speech, the little thing I gave her, the same direction, the same you know, word for word, line for line, the same intonation, everything is absolutely. But it's it's rehearsed. You know, she's been rehearsing this ever since the you know, the day she got there, knowing full well the little thing, the little thing, I'd rehearsed it and done it countless times before as well. So the start, you get that scene, and up as far as you know, clean yourselves off. You're both working tonight. Yeah. Uh, that again that's all perfect and then the scene goes off in a different direction um, whereas this time you get you know, the guards come in and this kind of just sets us off and the, so the, this it's the last proper scene of the episode and then you know, it, it tails off into the, sort of the conclusion um, but you get the, the king's guard come in you know, I have, you know, Cersei just had her authority challenged by you know, by Joffrey who is technically the king but you know she's she's still in charge she's had her you know, her her, um, her authority challenged so her response is okay well we know the king fucked other people, so let's go and round up all the bastards. So now going back on all the work that Sherlock Ned has done and um, the guy before him, whose name I can't remember, the guy who was hand before him, um, John Aaron, going back through all the work that they've done and all the people they've spoken to and all the, you know, the bastards they've found, she, she now sends the, the king's guard uh, to go start rounding them up and killing them all so they can... You know, they there's nobody making a claim on the throne because Joffrey is the king and that's not that's what they've, they've got no, that's the they've got to and that's what she'd been working towards her family on the throne Joffrey is the king so let's go get rid of anybody who has a claim now it's done in such a way again we only saw this woman once in the previous season where Ned found her and she, you know, she had a baby and um, she said I don't care if he's king I just want to be with him so, and no, responsible you're a whore, you're just a whore he bought and paid for why would he want to leave his throne and his kingdom and all the rest of it to come and live with you so you find we go back to this woman and her baby and rather callously you get a scene where the baby is executed you don't see the baby being executed because you know, killing kids on TV is kind of a no-no apparently um, so you go in and the guard who t- the, the soldier who takes the baby from the mother can't kill it so then the the one who I think his name is Slint I think his name does at the start of the episode I think so he's actually name checked he goes along and he goes. He draws his knife. He goes up to the baby, and then as he's sort of leaning towards the cut his throat, you then cut away, so you don't see it. You only hear it. You hear the baby stop crying, and then the mother breaks down in tears. So I mean, you get that, and then that leads into a scene whereby they're rounding up all these other bastards and thinking of innovative ways to kill them. The first thing I thought is, how fucking many did he have? Oh, there's a fucking lot in there. 
because there must be like six or seven that we know about in this scene that they killed. Old Robert that we've never seen before. By the look of him. But he was a fat old fucker. He, yeah. he did dirty old bastard. He was also I mean, I you, king, though, wouldn't he? I was going to say, I suppose he was king. That's what I was going to say. I mean, look, look, yeah, both I mean, our fucking princes are ginger, but they both fucking scored. So, you know, royalty well, yeah, obviously does true. something. I'm doing that's a fucking no what. Yeah. But anyway. Um, but yes, I mean, you get that. And then there's, there's one scene, I, I, I talk, mentioned it last week. Um, Oh, when we talk, when we talk about this, there's a scene whereby there's a, there are f- there's an entire baying crowd of people and four guards, and the four guards are holding them all back. Which fuck me, they must be strong. Mm. Um, but I, this it reminded me there's a scene in um, season three of the Man in the High Castle, which um, is, this is I'll, I'll describe the scene. It's, it's not a plot. It doesn't drive any narrative. It's not plot related, so I can go into it. But there's a scene in that whereby. Um, the soldiers have all rounded up all the Jews in the neighbourhood and they're executing them in the street and they kind of, they, this, the, the last child is there and you know, the child is there crying over over her dead mother and all the rest of it and the, guard, the, the soldier puts a gun to her head pulls the trigger and it jams so he pulls it again it jams he, he tries to cock it and all of a it jams again and they get to a point where the crowd is obeying for these soldiers' blood. And again, in that, there are only about four soldiers. The difference being they've all got like machine guns, whereas these, you know, these, these ones have just got pointy sticks and gold armour. But you know, he picks up this child and swings it and smashes it headfirst into the wall and, 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 and thus kills it. And again, you don't see it. It's done in the same way they killed the, the baby in, in the previous one, whereby just as, just as it's about to make contact, you get the noise, but you don't see it. And the noise is horrific. Mm-hmm. But it's the way they the way they've kind of set that up, and then. But again, it's you say, well, why is nobody overpowering these guards? Because there's fucking millions of you in the street. You could quite easily get past them and stop them doing this. And then from that, you move to they they find the guy who who's been looking after Gendry for all these years and sent him away, and he sells him out in fucking record time. And again, you're thinking, why is nobody standing up to? Like, yes, okay, they're the king's guard, but nobody seems to be willing to stand up to them when it's just been made public that actually the king is illegitimate. Surely, that no, you, you surely even the dullest of person, even Hodor, could realise that there may be a connection between the two events. Yeah, but then you have to question how much of King's Landing would want to over. You know, in order to overthrow the guards here, you have to want to overthrow the king, essentially. Um, but if there are enough people there, baying for they're, they're, they're baying for blood. They're, they're trying. They're, they're trying to stop them killing this child. Which you know, they, they, I mean, they, I think this is the one where they're carrying yeah, they carry the baby, dangling dead baby by, his, by foot. his foot. Yeah, yeah. There's a crowd there that's ready to riot, but they don't riot, and there's like four guards there. Yeah, that doesn't no, make a lot I guess, of sense. I mean, me. the crowd, they are just peasants at the end of the day, aren't they? They have no armor, no weapons. Uh, and to, I mean, the way they've been sort of set up, I think it's the second scene where the, the small council meeting where they're talking about the long winter coming and the response is, well, there'll be fewer peasants. They, should, they don't belong in here and they should be out in the yeah. fields. So, I mean, I, I guess it kind of reinforces the fact that um, they, they should, they, there's a general disdain by the ruling classes towards yeah, them anyway. Yeah, and this is what I'm saying, you know, like, yes, obviously it's, it's hideous that they're dangling a dead baby by the foot in front of them. But, you know, these are very poor people and self-preservation will kick in. And if you overthrow the king and throw the, the kingdom into, well, essentially anarchy, um, then where does the money and the supplies come from? Where's your next meal coming, yeah. you know? Yeah, um, I know. 
people people very rarely think of that when they start writing. Yeah, I know, but I, I people are emotional. Yeah. Well, yeah, you don't have to push too hard with me at this point in time. I tell you, <laughs> no, I um, about but, it. but yeah, I, I just don't I don't think that's there in King's Landing yet. We sort of get there in a couple of seasons' time. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that's there yet. It, it it needs a figurehead for them to unite behind, um, which you yeah. know, certain sections of King's Landing will get as as you know the show progresses. But I don't think they have it here. Yeah. This is still very much um, a populace in fear of the ruler, um, and particularly you know Joffrey and Cersei. You know they are quite as as you said earlier on. They are quite tyrannical. So these guys are scared. So. Yeah, I just think you know, public, public yeah. outrage generally has a, a way of manifesting. Plus, but I mean, also you know, any kind of any kind of member of the public just just stepping up here, um, just purely from a narrative point of view, steps on our closing scene. Well, yeah, that's that's true, and that's, I mean that's that's what it's going to get to. Obviously, so the uh, the blacksmith who was uh, harboring. Uh, Harboring Gendry sold him out quicker than you can say. No, he's a bastard. Um, and yeah, so all of a sudden we know the uh, they know he's 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 heading north to the wall. And so we cut away and we get a scene with them. Um, we see Arya for the only time in the episode. She's sat in the back of the car with Gendry. Hot pie is there. Some random blonde kid who we, who never speaks after the after they threatened to kill Arya a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he's there, and then that's it. We kind of cut the black and. No sign of a fucking comet or no, a White Walker. But Gendry, mind you, gets the full-on hero shot treatment. Like, he's shot from below as yeah. the cart is going away. You know, like... And and again, he's set up as being the, the true heir to the throne. Like, his story is perhaps the most wasted arc in this entire show. Oh, yeah. I mean, we'll come on to this time and time again. I f- the character of Gendry is largely useless in as much as it's not yeah. used. But so there's much so could much there that they've just ignored yeah. and they've thrown it away. And they, I mean, we talked about this at the end of the last season, so I'm not going to go on again, but they throw his character away time and time again to the point where they might as well not yeah. have him. And, and like I said back at the start, and I said we'd, we'd talk about this when we got to it, I have to believe that in the books he is going to be used. You, you have to. I mean, there's no reason for him to be there. Because he's been set yeah he has been set up again this is that Chekhov's gun principle like with the comment uh, with a comment with a comment yeah. sorry um, like he's he's there for a purpose we are not being shown Gendry for no reason like we are being shown somebody wielding the power to correct course on all of this he is the actual yeah. heir to the throne he yeah. needs to be used he needs to either be killed because of it or he needs to rise to power or at least inspire others to rise to power but he yeah. does none of that no he just kind he of just um, ambles around falls into oblivion yeah it's criminal but there you go we'll, we'll, we'll We'll rag on that every time he's on screen, I think. But uh, yeah, we'll leave it there for now. Yeah, Um, I guess in summation, this episode is okay. It's thoroughly, resoundingly okay. Pointless. It is not the best season opener I've ever seen, but then very few season openers are any good anyway. Um, it lacked pace, yeah. I thought, in a lot of places. It was very it, disjointed. It lacked direction. It, it did lack direction. Yeah, I mean, in terms of in terms of this narrative, I felt it just kind of they were okay. Well, we just need to remind everybody yes. who's who and where they are. 
So we'll just jump from set piece to set piece to set piece to set piece. Oh, shit, we've got to tell some story as well. Fuck, we've got 10 minutes left. And some of those set pieces really landed. Others didn't. Um, it's Not so much. serviceable. Meh. It, Meh. It, I mean, I, I haven't watched ahead, so I don't know where we're going next week. I'll watch that probably next Monday. Um, but, yeah, I don't really... I d- it hasn't really set up anything for next no, week. not at all. Or for the season in general, I feel. Well, that's it. I mean, given that, especially that... Other than Gendry, <laughs> which goes fucking nowhere. Yeah. I mean, given that a standard TV arc at this point, when this was made, was, this came out in 2012, a standard TV arc for America was still 24 episodes. Yeah. So we're already talking a reduced series of 10 episodes. So you're wasting one of them not going anywhere. You haven't set up what's coming in the next nine weeks, but you need to because you haven't got 23 weeks to break yourself in and have a big finale. This will be a problem with the show every season, though. <laughs> well, yeah, especially when you get to the reduced, reduced seasons yeah. in so seven and eight. Um, but yeah, it's just really frustrating. And I th- it's something that I found going through every year. It's like they, can't, they waste so much time. And, but don't achieve anything. They, they put so much on screen, but so much of it is superfluous that you're saying, well, you could have spent more time with this or you could have spent more time on that or, hell, made an episode 45 minutes instead of an hour. Yeah. You know, there's so much of that. Um, and it's just, it's, it's something that's it's going to come up time and time again. But I think that's, for me, that's the overarching problem with this episode is that it just feels like this is the previously on bit before the episode rather than the actual episode itself. The only thing it does that's useful is introduces Stannis and the Lord of Light. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess there's one or two things useful. And let's say it does feel like perhaps it's setting up Gendry's arc, but sadly that will go yeah. nowhere. So, yeah, final thoughts on this. Look, it's okay. It got me back in. I'm right? excited for next week's. But, meh. Yeah, I think that's kind of fair. I think that's probably uh, probably the best way we can leave it. It's serviceable, as you said. Yeah. You know, it's 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 there, and well, we're stuck with it. But it could have been better. Yeah. So yes, I mean that's that's North Remembers. Um, I said, let us know what you think. Um, if you want to drop us a line, uh, gom at ddpodcast.net. Uh, you can find us uh, on Facebook with, with Double Up Podcast Network. You can find us on Twitter at ddpodcast.net. But yeah, as always, get in touch. Let us know what you think. Tell us we're idiots. Tell us we're wrong. Tell us what you agree with. Tell us we haven't sworn enough this week because I think we're now probably lacking a little bit. Um, but yeah, get in touch. But until next time. Game over.